Good evening, and welcome to the Bullcast Podcast. I'm Katie Pickler, and with me is my ghouly host, Cord Winsett. <laughs> and there's the opening chime. <laughs> so, guys, we are uh, kicking we are- off a... Fun little spooky episode. Yeah, we are dead smack in the middle of October, baby. <laughs> dead. Love it. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to talk about part two of mortgages yes. and home debt. And uh, we're going to throw a little spooky spin to it. Sure, absolutely. Because, you know, it's October. It's Halloween time. Haunted. Everything's haunted. Everything's scary. Everything's spooky. So, uh, good topic for a top five this week. Feels like to me, maybe... Top five real haunted houses. Yes. Yes. So, uh, you know, last time we did pop culture, iconic houses that we like. This time we're going to actually do real haunted houses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not the little ones you pay $5 to go through or whatever it is. But this is houses that are actually haunted. Houses of legend. Yes. So, uh this is my favorite stuff. I love it. <laughs> Number five for mine would be uh, the Franklin Castle in Cleveland, Ohio. So watch out, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, death has been all around this house, this castle that was built in 1865. <laughs> um, just tragic history. People have bought it and tried to restore it. And every single time it ends up being fires. And oh. they even found baby bones in a corner. Well, wait, yeah. Wait. No. <laughs> Okay, listen, that's seriously like baby baby bones. Yeah, like a skeleton of a baby you they found when they were dark. renovating. It, well, is... I'm just reading the facts. It's not <laughs> I'm not saying I lived in this house. Okay, come on. No, but I'm I'm looking at your face and you would. <laughs> You're getting all excited about I may these visit things. It, but okay, my uh, number 4 actually is a uh, uh, Texarkana, Arkansas. Yeah, mm-hmm. I passed through there when going to the Cowboys games. Go Cowboys. Uh, this house was actually uh, the Phantom Killer. He took his victims there, and uh, five people were reported killed, three wounded. But what's crazy about this is when I was researching, the FBI actually published articles that were found a couple of months ago. In 2020, this was released. And it turns out they actually never found the guy that killed all these people. They arrested 400 suspects, but... 400 suspects? But it was in 1946. 400 suspects? They couldn't nail it down to one person? Yeah. Or maybe even uh, 40. Let's just go with, you know, 10%. (laughs) Number three would be the Hot Mansion in Brush Park, Michigan. Hot. Hot. So it's it's of high temperature? Sure. Well, I mean, it actually was an upscale brothel in the 40s. Oh, my lanta. So, uh, you know, there is something about brothels and kind of spooky... Uh, you know, air about it. I guess it's because there was a lot of sin around that. And I, I don't know, but there, there seems to be a common. Hey, listen, there. I've never been to a brothel. If you have, if you have experience in that area, then, you know, I'm going to take your word for it. But it's just, it. you know, the great, the Orpheum Theater in town used to be a brothel at one point. I think a lot of old historic buildings were a brothel at some point. Well, sure. But anyways, this one that's in Brush Park, Michigan, um, it actually cameoed in the 2016 Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. Aww. Yeah, and uh, so it's a really cool-looking spooky building. They did find dead bodies in the basement, uh, but it was just their torsos and the chest of the victims that were marked with a perfect circle. Katie, so you know, what is wrong with you? What is what? I like spooky stuff. My number two. Okay, we're taking it down to the Big Easy, New Orleans. Mm -hmm. New Orleans is definitely a spooky place. So this place is the Lalaurie 
house. Um, it was Madame Delphine Larie, mm-hmm. and she uh, orchestrated a torture chamber and for these slaves that were in her house. And Nicolas Cage actually ended up owning this house at one point, but then he had a lot of bad voodoo around him. Yeah. It got foreclosed. It was featured in American Horror Story Coven. And so Which Madame Delphine was actually one of the characters, was, but she's a real person as well. So, so Coven, the witch, the witch season that, and that was which which uh, character was this? This was uh, that was a uh, Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates. Yes, and so I it's, did not know that was it's based real, on a real person. It's right there in the heart of New Orleans, so you Freaky probably deaky. walked by it. Mm. Yeah. My number one is another New Orleans house. Mm-hmm. It's the Buckner Mansion. This one was in Coven as well. It's the school that the girls are a part of. And uh, this is supposedly haunted by Miss Josephine from the Civil War. And she uh, often has smell of lemon as she's constantly cleaning the house. You can rent it and stay for one night for $4,700. Interesting. So I'm I'm starting to save my... That's my next investment account is saving so I can stay in this house one night. That is a bit pricey. Yes. Oh, that's a good top five. And you ended on a, a, a pricey bed and breakfast. So I'll start with a bed and breakfast. <laughs> my first, my number five is the Borden house. <gasps> Lizzie Borden. Yes, absolutely. Ass. Up in, uh, up in Massachusetts. Uh, this of course, Lizzie Borden is, uh, famous for having been accused of killing her father and her stepmother with, uh, an ax, actually a hatchet in the Borden house. She was put on trial. She was acquitted. And she ended up living out her life in the town where she was accused of murder. She never moved out of there. Now, uh, nowadays, some awkward street walking by. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I think I think she was definitely ostracized. But um, nowadays, the house is is has been claimed by some different paranormal quote unquote experts to be haunted. Maybe some spirits of of Andrew Borden still wandering around. So interesting, you know, fun. Um, My number four. The Bell Witch Cave. Okay, so this is the reason this made my list is because it's Tennessee. Yes. And technically, it's a cave, not a house. Um, this was uh, this was John Bell moved his family to Tennessee, bought some land, farming the land. They they started being haunted by this 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 spirit, this evil spirit. Invited people from the town to come in and check it out, and people were like, "Yeah, you're definitely haunted." And like the longer it went on, it wasn't just a couple of little things. He and his daughter Betsy kept getting like haunted by this evil spirit. And the the longer it went on, the the more powerful supposedly the spirit became and eventually was oh, able to it was actually feeding off their fears. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> communicate with them. And basically the spirit was like, Yeah, the reason I'm doing this is because I want to kill John and break Betsy up with her, you know, break up her engagement. And once I've done that, I'll leave. And a little while later, a couple of years of, of this haunting going on, and uh, the Bell Witch, she killed John, and then Betsy broke off her engagement, and the Bell Witch went away. So, you know, but people claim to this day, business. they claim that even to this day that she, that the Bell Witch still haunts the area, and that if you were to go stay out in the field, you you would be, you would might may, may encounter her, and so that's freaky, and uh, I would rather not. <laughs> Um, number three is the Biltmore Estate, and and actually this this is my number three mainly because the the haunting is kind of oh it's 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 listed if you if you if you Google most haunted places it's listed as one of the most haunted places in America. But really, the backstory behind why it's haunted is is kind of 
weird. And, you know, the main reason this one's on my list is because it's beautiful. This place is a palace. This mm-hmm. is this is a, a, an American palace built by George Washington Vanderbilt of the Vanderbilts. Yeah. And it is beautiful. And I just want to own it. I mean, I would, I would, I would put up with the haunting at this place because it doesn't sound like it's really all that scary. Well, it's supposedly the wife, isn't it? Uh, Vanderbilt's wife that's haunting, and and the thing is, is there's a lot of those historical places, like heck, the place I got married in Memphis, the Orpheum Theater. Any building that's around for a long time has spirits, and I think a lot of times people think hauntings and spirits they have to be bad, but the famous one at the theater here is a yeah. little girl that just plays little tricks and. A lot of times these spirits only show themselves to those that believe. And so at the Biltmore, I'm sure it's just kind of the cleaning crew or the management that there's late, not when all the tourists are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll move there. I'll, I will give you that one. Number two on my list is the Limp Mansion. Now, this is in St. Louis. This was a, a this was a house built by. I think his name was William Limp, and um, there was a William Limp Sr., a junior. I, anyway, there are a lot of Limps. And <laughs> he started a brewery in St. Louis. Uh, mm-hmm. It was one of the biggest breweries, the Western Brewery, uh, prior to Prohibition. Ah. Uh, fall staff beer and, and um, was re- really a big deal. Brewery failed because of Prohibition, and um, the Limp family had some some tragedies after that uh lost sons early in life to death several people committed suicide there yeah was i think a, that family was kind of played a little yeah, bit like they yeah. talk about with the kennedys that there's yeah. just bad vibes that followed bad them. vibes all around all so their their family mansion is haunted to this day supposedly yeah. uh number one on my list is the winchester mystery house and i mean if you haven't heard of this one you probably have seen something about it you just didn't realize that it was called the winchester mystery house this house was built by the widow of Winchester, the guy that started um, the Winchester Rifle Company. So you know, she, she, he died, left her a bunch of money. Um, a, a, a spiritual advisor told her that she needed to move away from the east, away from, I think, New Haven, out to the west to build a place for herself and all the spirits of the dead people from Winchester Rifles to live. And so she moved out to California and built a house. And it's giant, and she just kept building on it and building on it and building on it until the day she died. And supposedly, obviously, it's haunted by all of the ghosts of people who were killed by Winchester Rifles. Fun. But the house is crazy. The house is like nutballs crazy. So there's that. That's my number one. Very cool. Okay, so really this one was just a fun one, but when you're thinking about a house, you know, if you need to bring the Ghostbusters in and inspect and make sure that it's not haunted, which actually when my parents built their house um, many eons ago, my brother insisted, a little five-year-old boy insisted that the Ghostbusters actually come in and inspect the new built house to make sure there was no spirits there. So that it was newly built. You know, so that, that that's, that's what they don't tell you. They tell you about free approval <laughs> and credit scores, but Ghostbusters, add it to your list if you don't want to live in a haunted place. Absolutely. Okay, let's get to the meat of this. So last time, last episode, we we talked about renting versus buying. Yes. Really understanding your budget, figuring out kind of what's going to fit in your budget and understanding, you know, wants versus needs mm-hmm. and making sure you're getting the location and the house and all the different elements of it that you need 
we obviously all want to dream, and I think you you want a Tony Stark's house. Mm-hmm. But in reality, we've got to be real with ourselves. What works with our budget and what we actually need. Yes, and it you know, what fits your budget, and then obviously. We did go over a little bit of we teased today's episode what 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 it what it takes to get a mortgage nowadays and what the reasons are behind that what the history is that led up to where we are now. So today you've decided to buy a house and now you just got to pay for the house. Yeah. And uh, we're actually going to have a guest on this episode, uh, Nancy Crawl with Bank of Bartlett. She's going to uh, talk to us a little bit about Kind of a little bit of the confusing part, the underwriting and really the process of what you would expect when you are talking to a bank about getting a mortgage. And we so, can we can give you a little bit, but we definitely want that that expert in here. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna build you up to the point where the underwriter would actually come in. We can give you the the basis basic information, and then I'm gonna ask Nancy a couple of questions too. Yeah. So okay. So what's a mortgage? What's a How mortgage? Um, it's it's simple. It's you are working with a lender. And allowing you to borrow money in mm-hmm. order to purchase real estate. Yes. Just in simple fact of that. Bing, bang, boom. Banks aren't going to lend you money for free. No. You know? So th- you're going to have to impose some interest. And usually these consist of monthly payments, which breaks down between your principal and your interest. And you're going to be paying off this mortgage, whatever you said, if it's a, a fixed rate, adjustable rate, there's all different kinds of options and all different kinds of mortgages out there mm-hmm. that can kind of get a little confusing. And so that's where we're going to hopefully, by the end of this episode, you'll understand the different ones that are out there. But I will tell you with a lot of things, court's favorite phrase comes into it. It depends. It depends on where you live. It depends on what you're looking for who you are with your background of your money, what kind of banks you're working for on what mortgage is best for you. And that's where I got to plug it in. A partner like a wealth advisor like us or anybody is a good idea to talk about because buying a house is the biggest financial decision you will make of your life. So don't just go into it willy-nilly and go, I'm going to, you know, today I woke up and I'm going to buy a house. (laughs) More than likely, you need to think a little bit about it. This is not just going and having an impulse buy. This is a big deal. Yeah. Well, yes. That that that. It's huge. It's huge. Huge. <laughs> okay. So let's start with some terminology around mortgages. Okay. Um, amortization. Amortization. Yes. Yes. So what this is is when you say at this point we've decided what our mortgage is and you've got your monthly payments figured out. So amortization is what's actually going on with that. Mm -hmm. Part of each monthly payment will go towards paying interest to the lender, while another goes towards paying down your loan balance, which is the principal. Right. And so it refers to how many payments are broken up over the lifetime of a loan. During the early years, you're actually paying a higher portion of towards interest because Mm -hmm. you think about it. You're looking at it in that first year, you've got the full amount of whatever you borrowed. So if you borrowed $400,000 that first year, you're paying interest towards that. And mm-hmm. then every year it drops down and you're only paying interest towards 200000 that is left or 100000 that's left. So look at it that way that it's kind of just piece by piece being changed up over the payments. So yes, your first year you're mostly looking at interest. So the go- I mean, okay, the the part of the the element of of an amortized loan is equal payments over over a period of time. You want that interest rate that you're paying um, because you because you're paying uh, interest on a higher amount of principal at the beginning of your loan. 
then to pay that much interest, you have to pay, if you want an equal payment, if you want your payment to be the same over the course of the loan, then the amount of interest you're paying up at the front is more because you owe more. Mm -hmm. So more of that equal payment is going to go toward your interest than is going to go toward your principal. But as you're going along and you're slowly paying down that principal, you owe less. You're owing you 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 you're responsible for less interest because you're paying an interest rate on a lower amount of principal now as you've paid the principal off. That payment is staying the same. Still, mm-hmm. you're paying the same payment, but more of the more of the payment will start going towards your principal as you move along, and less of it will have to go towards your interest. Like I know every website is different, but I know with mine, there's actually a way that you can set it. It's like here's your monthly payment or you can pay extra towards principal or interest. Mm-hmm. And so that's where when people talk about they're paying a little extra on their mortgage each month, you want to pay it towards that in, or that principal. You want to pay it towards that overall loan. Yeah. But that's something we're, we're, that's a horse of a different color. We're not getting into paying extra. Right now we're talking about just figuring out what your mortgage is going to be and paying what you're supposed to pay, not any extra at this point. It's a loan of principal. They're going to charge you interest. They're going to have you pay it back over a course of a number of years. And those payments can be equal and spread out over the course of the, however many years it is, basically. Yeah. So another term you hear a lot around mortgages is down payment. And this is simple. This is just the money that you need to have available to pay up front when you're purchasing your house. And the size of what this down payment needs to be Depends on what kind of house you're getting, what kind of loan. Typically, it's going to be 20% of the overall amount is what you're going to have to come up with. So a lot of times when we're talking about with our budget, it's you're not saving up. If you want to buy a $500,000 house, you're not having to save up the $500,000. You're needing to save up that money for that down payment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I guess a a good question that, that that sort of begs is who makes those decisions? Who decides how much you're going to need to put down and who decides what your interest rate is going to be and how do they make those decisions? What's the process? Who, who are these Who are these loan officers or, or whatever that make these decisions and what the process is? What is the process that they go through to make them? Well, Court, that's why we're bringing Nancy in for you to kind of chat with her and see, you know, what, how does this process work? How is it decided? And why is it that when I first bought my house, everybody was joking of, ha, 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 let's see how long your bank actually holds on and before it gets sold. So that's what I'm hoping you can figure out when you chat with Nancy. And away we go. Welcome to Bullcast, Nancy. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Happy Halloween! Yeah, you're here for our you're here for our spooky episode. So I hope I hope you can be very scary on demand. Oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, Nancy Crail, ladies and gentlemen, she is a bank mortgage officer, a loan originator at Bank of Bartlett here in the Shelby County area. Um, what we are going to do today is, uh, Nancy, I'll, I'll just tell you, we, we're right in the middle of, of defining some terms and, and we're, we're putting you right between down payment and, uh, and underwriting. So you'll, uh, you'll be able to, I'm, I'm sure, discuss with us all of the process of, of, of somebody walking into a Bank of Bartlett branch and what they're going to need to bring to you so that they can get pre-qualified, go out and find a house, come back to you, say, hey, I found a house. 
you're going to, you're going to, hopefully you're going to be able to walk us through just, just exactly what it feels like for that person to, to start from talking to you for the first time. What, what do they need to bring and all of that right up until the underwriters are done with them. We can make that scary for sure. And then when the underwriters are done, they go, they close on their house and boom, we're out of here. Why don't you start with a guy named Joe walks into your branch, walks into walks into Bank of Bartlett branch. You you work at uh, out of the Wolf Chase branch. You've got an office, and he goes up to the desk side lady and he says, "Hey, I want to buy a house. Who do I need to talk to?" And the desk desk side lady says, "Well, let me introduce you to Nancy Crail." So what what are you going to ask him for? His driver's license and pretty pretty simple. We just need last two years tax returns, including W twos. Last one month pay stubs, last two months bank statements, and if he's got an investment or a retirement account, then the last quarterly statement. All right. Okay. That's I'm, that's probably good information for somebody to have because that, that I don't know about about you, Cameron, but I don't just keep all that stuff in uh, in my pocket. I'd have to I'd have to gather all that stuff together, right? <laughs> Cameron's nodding his head. He's saying definitely. Um, okay. So. Yeah, I give you that paperwork. Um, let's say, let's say hypothetically, I give you that paperwork. I've got a job. You look through all of my paperwork. You see that I've got a credit score of around six sixty. What's what 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 are you going to tell me? Am I am I going to be able to pre qualify? Sure, you should qualify for FHA. Awesome. Okay, so I'm pre qualified for an FHA. Do I get like a a a, a stamp on my hand or a, 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 a <laughs> what a letter? Or I something? can give you a stamp on your hand if you want. <laughs> Like a, I'll give you a pre-qualified. Okay. And so I get my pre-qualification letter. I'm going to go out. I'm going to find my dream home. Once I found my dream home, I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to say, I found it. It's $100,000. What kind of down payment am I going to need? You're going to need your 3.5%. 3.5%. So um, I, I've got 3.5%. I, can I just like bring in a bag of cash or do I need to have it's a... It's got to be sitting in a bank account for okay. a couple of months. Okay. That's okay. why we need the bank statements. I got you. Okay. So I've got I've to be able to show that I've had that cash for a while. You mentioned earlier, uh, before we started this, before we started this conversation, you mentioned something about four C's to me. So what are those four C's? Capacity, credit, cash, collateral. Okay. Capacity. What does that mean? Your ability to repay. My ability so to repay. You have to have a job. And oh. We factor in your debt to income ratio. Oh, uh, you got to have a job. limits so you don't spend too much. <laughs> you got to have a job and you got to, you got to have your, your income. You basically, you got to have a good enough income that you can pay all of your debts. Now, what kind of debts? We're not talking about like the cable bill and stuff. That's correct. Okay. It's yeah, just, it's the, just the stuff that shows up on your credit report. Okay. All right. And the new house payment as well. Uh, well, obviously taxes and insurance <laughs> and mortgage insurance. Okay. So next would be credit, right? What is that? We're looking for at least 640 credit score and also clean credit too. If oh. you have any late payments, collections, we need a letter of explanation explaining that. Okay. Um, so credit credit is more than just credit score. It's more than just that number. It's your credit history. And That's correct. Great. And also, I know you mentioned something to me about a history of like, for instance, if I'm coming to you for a loan and I've been living with my parents right up to now, 
I don't have any history of, of paying rent or, or anything. Is that going to affect it at all? That's called payment shock. Yeah. Okay. And you don't like that, right? We don't like a big payment shock, okay. obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to go from paying zero a month living at home with your folks to a $1,500 mortgage. Well, that makes sense. So you want to live within Certain. your limits. Yeah. Okay. Next is cash. And we've kind of already hit on cash. Cash is, is that down payment, right? That's proof of funds. Okay. have to be in a bank account. Mm-hmm. or in a retirement account. They can also be, in the case of the FHA, they can be gift funds from a family member. Okay. But again, just just to be clear, I can't just walk in with a bag of dollar bills and hand them to you and say, Absolutely here's my Absolutely not. Ah, darn it. Okay. Uh, and then finally, we have collateral. Now, what do you mean by collateral? The house you're buying has to appraise. Okay. So that would probably be one of the next steps, right? I'll come back in. Nancy, I found my house. It's great. It's my dream house. And you're going to take all of the stuff that I gave you before. And you're going to take, uh, here's, here's my contract. I got a signed contract. They, I made an offer and they accepted it. So you're going to take all of that. And what are you going to do with it? I'll start in putting it into your loan file mm-hmm. and I'll lock your rate. And then we'll send you initial disclosures within three days. Okay. And a loan estimate, so you know what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> so you also know what you have to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, because this is a big deal. Well, this this is, is a huge deal. Yeah. And then I guess at some point you got to move it on down the road, right? You're 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 not the only person that works on this thing. And then it goes to processing. <laughs> I got you. Once you sign your disclosures, I can send it to processing. Okay. And they're gonna basically they're gonna verify just, everything. They're just gonna make sure I'm us. telling the truth. They're just gonna make sure I'm telling the truth. And um, you said something about the collateral that that the house has to be appraised for the amount that I want to pay for it. So I assume we're going to have to order an appraisal, right? That's correct. And that's where the processor steps in. So once I turn the loan over to the processor, we'll order the appraisal, we'll order the title work. Okay. And so they, they come back to you at a certain point. And now when you hand it over to the processor, am I done with you? Or you you like shoot? I'm your point of contact from start to finish. Start to finish. Okay. So... I'll work with a processor on the rest of your loan until it goes to underwriting. Ooh, underwriting. That's that's the word. That's the next word on the list that we're quote unquote defining. It sound it always reminds me of an undertaker. I don't know. Underwriters sound mm. pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> But it's going to go to underwriting probably how how, how long about before? About a week before. About closing. a week before the... Three, three to five days before okay, closing. Okay. And the underwriters, they're basically sort of have to sign off on, the, yes, this guy is a good risk. He's, he's... They review and approve. Okay. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Underwriting, all it really is 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 a terrifying person who uh, holds my <laughs> entire life and dreams in their hands. They decide if I am worth the risk of loaning me the money. Fantastic. Okay. So it's gone through underwriting. They like you have met me or they probably don't ever actually meet me. They never meet you. Um, But you know, on paper, I look like I'm a heck of a guy. And so they approve of this, this loan. It's going to, I guess, what's the next step? Let me see. We we prepare loan documents. Okay. And we send them to your closing attorney that you picked out. You already have an appointment set up. Who did Closing that? Time? Did I, I say- did. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, she is a, like a one-stop shop over here. You have one more thing to do. Okay. Well, actually, you have two things. What's that? You need to wire your funds. Okay. Now so that's... So that would be your down payment and if you have closing costs that oh. the seller isn't paying. 
Okay, so if I don't get the if I don't make the seller pay my closing costs, mm-hmm. then I got to pay those when oh, I yeah. when I put the down payment down. So that's all getting paid right up front. No, you put earnest money when you go under contract, mm-hmm. but you have to bring the funds to closing. That's called cash to close. Okay. So but whatever. it's not actually your cash. You're, you're going to wire from your bank account. Leave your bag of money at home. Okay, but I'm going to... So let's say I put down... when I, Not put down. Let's to, to be clear, when I made my offer, I gave $1,000 in earnest money. That is earnest money. Um, my down payment uh, is $3,500. It has to be 3.5% of $100,000, so it's got to be $3,500. Is is that 1000 that I put down is earnest money? Is that part of the $3,500 down payment? That's correct. Okay. So I'm going to have to wire over $2,500 more to cover the full down payment plus whatever my closing costs are unless I got that buyer to pay my closing costs. And by gosh, I'm going to get the buyer to pay my closing costs. You mean the seller because you're the buyer. That's right. You got me. Wow. You are. You tried to trick me. (laughs) Trick or treat. (laughs) No, no. So, okay. Now I'm going into, I got to go into the attorney's office and I got to sign my papers and I'm signed and I've wired the funds and everything's good. Did I miss anything? Keys? Keys. I got to get the keys to the house. So now I have the keys to my very first, very own dream house. And and then you have to make your first payment. <laughs> I got to pay for it. Golly, I can't get, can't get anything past you. Okay. So I'm going to pay for the house in monthly installments over the rest of my life or at least only for 30 years so hopefully you live that long (laughs) i don't know we'll see (laughs) (laughs) okay well i guess we should cover real quick um let's say joe blow walks in and uh and he you said well i think you'll you you should qualify for an fha what if he wants that conventional what is he going to need to do to get that conventional loan well i think he needs to see a credit counselor bring that credit score up bring the credit score up the higher the score the lower the interest rate on conventional. Okay. The cre- and the lower the mortgage insurance. Right. So the 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 if the if you have a higher credit score mm-hmm. and you you want to you want to put down less than twenty percent, if you put down anything less than twenty percent on a conventional loan, you're going to have to pay that mortgage insurance, that private mortgage insurance or PMI. But if you have to pay that PMI, a better credit score means lower PMI. That's correct. And, and the lower and the higher the down payment, the lower PMI. The PMI. Okay. All right. Fantastic. That is everything. Let me ask you one question for Katie because she really, really wanted to know why people were were making jokes about her mortgage um, being sold by the bank. Somebody said to her, so I bet, I wonder how long it's going to be before the bank sells the mortgage. So what is Uh that all about? Most banks have investors that uh, we transfer servicing to. Okay. Most banks have investors. There's a, there, there are people out there that will actually buy these loans, buy these mortgages from the bank because they see it as a, a revenue stream. That's good. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Well, Nancy, it has been amazing having you here today. I hope you will come back and talk to us some more about all of this later on down the road. It would be my pleasure. Fantastic. Thanks. And Katie got the answer to her question, too. So, Katie, I'm throwing it back to you. I am so glad you chatted with Nancy because that's something that we we send it to the experts and get them to tell us what's going on. (laughs) Let them tell us about this whole underwriting process and stuff. But, uh... Well, we still, I mean, we haven't really... 
we haven't even gotten through all of the terminology. No. That was like a little detour just to go down that one rabbit hole. But we've got we've got a couple of other words, a couple of other terminology things that we want to cover with you. So um, what's next on our list would be... Escrow. Escrow. Yes. So uh, this is something that most loans include escrow. And a lot of the mortgage companies, it's, you know, that's a requirement. Yeah. Because they're trying to protect their investment but what an escrow account is, is it's set up and it's usually roped in there with your mortgage and it it's part comes, of your payment. Yeah, it's part, it's part of your, your monthly payment, payment. And it pays for the property taxes and the homeowner's insurance. Mm-hmm. And so no interest is earned on this escrow part of it. But as a homeowner, if you get that letter in the mail that says your property taxes are due and it's that big old ugly number, you go, oh, how am I going to come up with that much? That's why it's a part of your mortgage that right. you're paying towards that every month. And so you don't have that big old sticker shock. The mortgage company setting that money aside. They're basically putting it into account. And they're like, yeah, we're going to hang on to this and make sure that your taxes get paid at the end of the year. Yeah. Which is why it's a protection for them. Because they're making sure that your taxes are paid so that the government doesn't come in and foreclose on your house because of uh, unpaid taxes. That way, their investment is is still bringing in their money. And they're making sure that your house is insured so that if it burns down and there's nothing left of it, that that there's insurance that'll cover that. Because if there were no insurance to cover it, then they they own nothing. They they, they have a lien on your house, which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, exactly. So it, the escrow account protects them, but it also is going to be it's going to be two things that you don't have to worry about because it's taken care of. Yeah. And a side note on it, it's one of those that a lot of people, and there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, I want to get rid of my um, home debt and I don't want to have a mortgage anymore. Well, no matter what, you know, we said last time, you're always, there's going to be a cost for where you live. Mm -hmm. So even if you were to have paid off your entire loan and have no per se mortgage payments, you're going to still have to pay these home insurance and these taxes. Mm -hmm. So there is still a cost. And that's what I think a lot of people forget about. But remember, once it's once the loan is paid off, you still have to pay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so let's talk. We're we, let's pretend that we haven't paid off our loan yet. So we're still talking about that that loan payment. Yes. You got the principal payment and the interest payment. Mm-hmm. So we got interest rates. There are a couple of different kinds of interest rates that you might have when you have a mortgage. So uh, why don't we talk about that? Yeah, so you got interest rates. Um, you know, fixed rates stay the same through the whole length. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when you hear mortgages, you've got the 30-year fixed, you've got 15-year. And what comes around with the whole interest rate is obviously what the market's doing. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's are you doing a 30-year? Are you doing a 15? Because then that'll play into it. But then also what you can qualify for with your interest rate. What is your credit score? You know, mm-hmm. who are you as a person? Like what what can we offer you? And so with that, you've got fixed and adjustable. Um, and so with fixed, you're locking it in. You're locking it in. So, you know, right now, 2020 interest rates are looking really great. And that's a lot of people are jumping on houses. And I know, you know, April, I thought I was getting a great rate with 3%. And now that's, that's crap. Yeah. Now people are getting two and a half. And, you know, going back to David Pickler, he made a comment about his first home was 12%. Yes. So and that means that he was paying a lot higher because 
the house he bought, there was the cost of that, but then you got the 12% interest. Well, and they, you know, so that's fixed until, unless and until you, if you've got a fixed 12% interest rate, then unless and until you find refinance, excuse me, which we're going to talk about at the end of the episode, and unless and until you do that, it's fixed. So if the, if the bank locked you in at 12, then they're not going to just come and say like, oh, hey, let's let us give you let us give you a lower rate. You're going to no. actually have to go and get the, get that. So that's something to think about. But that interest rate, one of the big things that that interest rate affects is, like I said before, it's your interest rate. You're paying interest on the the total amount that you borrowed, but it it affects that 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 interest payment that you're making affects that monthly amount that you can pay. Absolutely. So it, it requires that you're paying more towards your interest, which means you you you're paying less towards less your principal. Less loan, yeah. And Ultimately, that affects how much house you can actually afford. Yeah. Because, you know... You you look at the interest rate and that's your charge. That's your fee for borrowing this money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's the thing is a lot of times I think that people forget about it and they get a low interest rate and they're buying a house that's way too big for them. And it's only by the house size that you need. And make sure you understand with your interest rate what that cost is doing to your monthly payments. Mm. But then on the flip side of that, you've got adjustable. Yes. And so adjustable is good and bad. So it is fixed for a shorter period of time. It may be five, seven, 10, whatever it may be. And so that means it'll stay stable, stay fixed for that time period. And then after that, it's going to start fluctuating and going up or down depending on the market. So that means you can you have no idea what mm-hmm. your payments could be. Your monthly payments are changing from year to year and it's right for some borrowers, but then it's it's got some bad side to it too because you don't have that certainty of knowing what your payment is. When it's good is okay, say right now rates are great. Rates are low. Mm-hmm. So you want to as soon as you get that, you want to lock it in. But if you happen to feel like you know, the rates were at four, but you feel like they're going to go down. You may end up doing an adjustable rate because you are confident that interest rates are going down and that it's going to pay off in the long run for you to have this adjustable interest rate. Well, and I know that one of the things that certainly affects an interest rate, what kind of interest rate you can get for a fixed interest rate is uh, your credit score. So let's say your credit score isn't awesome. Um, and you can't lock in a really low uh, fixed rate, will 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 it be easier to get an adjustable rate uh, if you have a lower score? Is that Does that play into it at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that plays into it, and it's one of those that if you're trying to build your credit score up, like something's going on, get that adjustable rate, and then down the road, you may be able to refinance, which, you know, we're going to get into all about refinancing, but then that gives you the opportunity to jump on the opportunity to get maybe a fixed right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just just to be clear, if your credit score to a great degree is going to drive what kind of interest rate you can get. You, if you've got a great credit score, you might be able to lock in that really low interest rate. But if your credit score isn't so good, you either are going to lock in a higher interest rate, and you're going to pay a higher interest rate because your credit score isn't as good, or maybe possibly you can get that adjustable rate for now, for the time being, you know, make those payments, hopefully, you know, improve, and then maybe you can lock in something better down the road. That's kind of that idea. I just want to make sure that I hit on the fact that, you know, one of the big things with with the interest rate is 
We discussed this with Nancy. Some of the things that they're looking at, they're looking at, well, how much are they going to loan? And they're looking at, well, what is your credit score? And they also are going to be looking at not necessarily what your income is, but do you have a source of regular income? You know, is it is it a steady stream of regular income yeah, that you can prove? It's not that your assets necessarily, because, uh, you know, someone who may have a bunch of assets laying around and have plenty of money to buy a house, but if they don't have that regular income, they don't have a job, then sometimes you can run into roadblocks mm-hmm. because you have to prove that, yes, I've got the money. I can pay for this. I can do this. So, it is tricky, but remember again, it's that all of, all of this whole process is in place because of past mistakes, and it all ropes into your budget and making sure that you understand this is not supposed to be a simple process. It can be smooth, but it's one of those that you may have to go back to the drawing boards depending on what your interest rates you get and what kind of loans you get. But that's where you look at your budget and you make sure you're working with that total debt of the home should be 36%. Mm-hmm. That should, that's what you got to work with. So no you, more than. No more than. No yes. More. You don't, you don't have, no, don't be an overachiever. You don't yeah. have to do the 36%, but it's one of those, you need to understand you've got that in your mind of what you can actually afford, what those monthly payments can be. Mm-hmm. Because it may be that you have to readjust midway through and be like, hold on, hold on. We can't go down this path because that's going to change my payment. I need it to be this. And then you go back to the drawing boards, you know, work with your bank, outsource to another bank, quote around. But keeping that budget key of mind during this whole process is so important. Yeah. And keep in mind, too, we're about to get into the types of mortgages that you can possibly get. And so... As we're, as we're discussing those different types of mortgages that you can possibly get, you consider, consider again, how much money do you have saved up? Um, what is your current debt to income ratio? Do you already, are you already in debt to about 20% of your total monthly income is going toward debt service already and you don't even own a house yet? Then what's that, what's going to happen when you, when you add the debt for the house on top of that? Because remember, not only are we saying a maximum of 36%, maybe even closer to around an average of 30, but a maximum of 36% debt to income on your house, but a maximum overall debt to income ratio, total debt that you are servicing on a monthly basis uh, out of your income should be 43%. Yeah. So it's the whole picture, everybody looking at all aspects, not just a singular, I want a house. That's all I'm focused on. Look at everything. So let's jump in. Let's jump into some of these loan types. So number one that we've got is the FHA loan. And uh, it's popular because of the low down payment and credit score requirements. You can get a FHA loan with a down payment as low as 3.5%, which usually it's around 20, and a credit score of just 580. Mm-hmm. Um, this which is, is, I mean, that's, that's, that's yeah. You're, you know, when you got a credit score of 580, uh, an FHA loan is a good option for building that credit score up because 580, it's going to be tough to get to get anything um, like that. Yeah, these loans are backed by the Federal Housing Administration, which means that they reimburse lenders if you default on your loan. This reduces the risk lenders are taking on by lending you the money. And so definitely it's one of those that, you know, this is an option. It's out there. Think about that. Next one, I think really the most common one that I hear about all the time is the conventional loans. Sure. Um, and it's it's called a conventional loan because it's, it's conventional. It's conventional. <laughs> it's a popular choice for buyers. Um, 
So you can on this one get as little as 3% down payment, but then there's a kicker with it. Well, yes. So um, if you are putting less than 20% down, you will be required to pay a monthly fee called PMI or private mortgage insurance, which protects the lenders, not the owner, protects, not the borrowers, protects the lenders Mm -hmm. in case you default. So this is a flat payment over the term of the mortgage. It's a premium, essentially. It's almost like it's an life insurance. insurance. It's yeah. It's, it's an insurance premium in, in case you can't pay your 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 mortgage. There's this. Uh, they they have this this insurance policy out there that will pay that will pay off the loan. Yeah. Uh, this isn't like insurance that they're like, oh, I can't pay here. Give me my insurance. No, this is no. not for you. This is for the lender. Lender. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a trick because it's almost like, okay, well, it's okay you don't have court that you don't have 20% to put down. We'll give you this thing called PMI. Mm. You're like, oh, okay, sounds good. But, and I've got to say for the most case, because there are some exceptions out there, for the most case, your premium never goes down. It is the same amount you are paying across this the entire term of your mortgage. So pretty much instead of you having to have that up front, you're just then now having to have extra added throughout all your payments. So yeah, hey, I've only I can only make ten percent now, but once I get once I build up my equity and I'm above twenty percent equity in my house, once I own more of my house and have that, then you know the PMI goes away. No, there are there are a couple out there that I research that do that, but that is the exception. That is not the rule. So majority of the time, it stays with you forever okay. and is like the plague. It sticks to you. PMI kind of is the devil, but you know. Just, just be cautious when you have PMI brought up to you. It is not a fun thing. <laughs> Next one is a jumbo. Um, this is something that your mortgage is going to end up being above a certain dollar amount. Typically, these are your more expensive houses. And it's going to end up having a higher interest rate because when we talked about with Nancy, you know, you talked to her about the underwriters. There's less people that want to back behind a jumbo because... Those are a little, it's risky. You're getting Again, a bigger house and it's, it's yeah, a big so loan. Just to, not to be too repetitive, but one of the things that, that we're looking at here is banks do mortgages to get the fees mm-hmm. and then they sell the mortgage and the, 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 the ultimate owner of that mortgage, they're the ones that are looking to generate that revenue off of the interest so that they have that interest stream for years and years to come. The banks aren't interested in necessarily keeping that. So Yeah, that's why it often gets sold. And you're like, yeah. oh, where'd my mortgage go? And when go? we say it gets sold, there's there are investors out there that are buying these. And the market for jumbo loans is just not as good as the market for a conventional loan. So they that banks have fewer buyers for these things, so they tend to charge higher interest because that higher interest rate makes it more attractive to the buyers that are out there. Which is funny because the first few times that I heard the the term jumbo loan, I thought jumbo is good. You know, <laughs> I like jumbo fries. I like jumbo, <laughs> you know, planes. I like jumbo houses. Jumbo is good, so a jumbo loan must be good. But jumbo loan is, generally speaking, it's going to cost you more because it's going to have a higher interest. Higher rate. interest rate. You've got to have a seven hundred or above credit score. So you've got to be a good person with that and have that great credit score but also it's one of those the the dollar amount that 
that makes, makes it a jumbo. A jumbo there, it changes depending on your state, but also your county. So in Shelby County, where we are in, in the Memphis area, mm-hmm. a jumbo loan is 510400 okay. And so I know we've actually had a client that recently was looking at a house and the bank that they were working with, they had a great partnership with them. They said, hey, if there's any way possible, you need to try and put more down as a down payment. So more than that 20%. So you can get yourself to a conventional and not have to do the jumbo loan. Mm. And so then, you know, that's something that comes into play as well. Now, obviously, that's not always an option. And I mean, if, you know, I think in this situation, it was a difference of like twenty or $30,000 from a conventional to a jumbo. So they were able to make it work. But if you're dealing with a big difference of 100000 or 200000 that that may not, you, you're stuck with a jumbo at that point, yeah, probably. I mean, I certainly would be. Um, <laughs> but so that's something out there. A um, couple other loans that are out there are uh, the USDA, and these are only eligible for people in rural areas. Um, you know, it's, you can borrow 0%, but this is not a lot of us. This is rural areas. So like farms and stuff? Yeah. Because, I mean, isn't the USDA, that's the U.S. Department of Agriculture yes. we're talking about. So this is actually, you know, they're they're looking to sponsor a very specific kind of buyer mm-hmm. out, out there. Okay. And same with the VA loans. This is specific to active duty military members and veterans. It's backed by the Department of Veteran Affairs. It actually, uh, you know, it's it's been around for a very long time. It came out post-war um, to encourage people to buy houses and really stimulate the economy and get into those suburbs. So it's been around for a while. Interest-only loans. <laughs> Dangerous. <laughs> um, principal a ghost is, just walked over yeah. your grave or Ooh, something. Chills. <laughs> Um, principal is not reduced during this. So just think you are just literally paying the mortgage company. You're just paying interest. And, um, it's useful for home buyers that don't expect to be in their home very long, but, uh, borrowers, borrowers must show lenders substantial assets and yeah, it's, it, we're not recommending it unless you're in a particular situation. Balloon note. Doesn't sound as fun as, you know, everyone loves balloons at kids' parties, but mm-hmm. that, that's not what we're talking about here. Yeah. This, I want you to picture that you are, okay, you were on a train track. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we're hanging out with Rocky and Bullwinkle, and Boris and Natasha have put up a crazy scheme, and there's a freight train coming right for you, and you've got to save the damsel in distress that's tied up. That is what I want you to picture when we're talking about this balloon loan, because that's kind of what it is. You are working with someone and you've agreed that you're going to have your monthly interest payment or your monthly payments and you've got it nice and, you know, here you go. Here's your payments. and Affordable payments. Or affordable payments. Yeah. It works with you. It seems great. great. 15 years. And so year one through 14, you're paying the same amount. Then boom, 15 year, that gets here that freight train has run straight into you because you now own, owe the entire amount of the loan left. Yeah. And to be absolutely clear, you don't, you said own and it was a missed, it was yeah. a missed thing. But the, the, the reason that I bring that up is because you won't own it if you can't make that payment. You will not own that house. Somebody else will own that house if you can't make that balloon payment or, you know. Yeah, so it, I mean, it's mostly interest that you're paying in those monthly payments. And it's a lot of times people have to get this because they cannot afford to amortize, you know, our new word we learned about, they cannot afford to amortize the full note and pay those equal payments. 
So they're pretty much getting this because they're in a house or they're getting something. They're putting themselves in a kind of crazy situation or they're trying to get themselves out of it. But really, you want to try and stay away from this because then you've got all these payments that you're doing and then you're smacked in the face with this freight train with $140,000 that you owe and boom. I mean, you could have been spreading this out and making some budget cuts and trying to make it work in your budget. Mm -hmm. This works for responsible borrowers with intentions of selling the home before the due date. But a lot of times, um, I hear a lot of people get into this for not the responsible reasons. Mm. So, so stay away from balloons. Think of that freight train. <laughs> you know, last one that you may hear about is bridge loans. It's a, a gap loan when you're in between selling a home, buying a home. Mm-hmm. So that's just something to think about if you are in that situation. So let's talk about mortgage terms. We've mentioned it several times, but in today's world, it's 15 years or 30 years. Yeah. I mean, basically, it's that's that's all you're going to get is is uh, I mean, I, I suppose you could you could you could borrow for a, a lesser length of time if you wanted to, but most most of your conventional loans are going to be 15 year or 30 year mortgage. Exactly. And so the longer term means the lower monthly payment. So mm-hmm. obviously if you you know, got that, then go ahead and do the 30 year. It doesn't mean that you're having that house for 30 years. When, Whenever you do move out, it's going to be that you've actually paid less towards your principal if you had that 30 year loan. So when you do move out, you're actually going to have a lower amount of equity in your house than you would have had you done the 15 year. Mm-hmm. So advantage of the 30 year, lower payment on a monthly basis disadvantage you're not building up as much equity you're not you're not paying off the principal part of your mortgage as as quickly yeah okay so you know process i know nancy really kind of explained a lot of this to you court and we're just kind of reiterating again it's understanding that you can shop around you can get pre-approved which we recommend before you even go house shopping Go find someone, figure out what kind of what you can afford. Remember, just because you may get pre-approved for, you know, six, seven hundred thousand dollar house doesn't mean you have to go spend that. This is not the overachiever thing where you gotta make sure you hit what they tell you. Right. Get what you need, not necessarily what you can afford. And so say, you know, get your pre-approval. And then when you find that perfect house, you already have the Ghostbusters in there. You made sure it's not haunted and it's perfect place for you then that's where you've got the opportunity that if you've got a relationship with the bank, you can work with them. If you want to price around, just talk to different people, figure out what's the best loan, what's the best rate. And remember keeping that in mind of your budget, how much you can afford. If you're talking to somebody, you're not liking what they're throwing with you. They're they're trying to tell you you need a balloon note. Mm-hmm. Go talk to somebody else. Get a yeah. second opinion. Listen, the point of getting pre-approval is when you, when you make... Uh, an offer on a house, you can say, hey, we'll pay you this much and we're pre-approved. And that helps you with the purchase. That helps you with the the negotiating in that way. It doesn't mean that because you're pre-approved, you have to go with that particular banker that pre-approved you or that you have to take whatever rate they've, they've given you. Shop around. Find the best rate. Find the best fees. Remember, Banks are making their money off of fees and then selling the actual mortgage mm-hmm. to to someone else to, to collect that interest. So they, 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 they have to try and be as competitive as they can on fees because they know that you can go to a different bank and get better fees possibly somewhere else. So you're shopping your interest rate. You're shopping your fees. You want to make sure that you really have found the best deal you can. 
Yeah, it, again, I have to drive home. This is such a big decision. You didn't marry the first girl you kissed. Well, I mean, I think you didn't. So I know I kissed a bunch of I mean, it was close. Frogs, if being monsters, toads, whatever, before I found my husband. So it's look at it that way. This is a big decision. Shop around. Talk to different people. Get advice. You don't have to make this decision so quickly. Do your research and figure it out. Yeah, you're looking at... You're looking at, listen, this bank may be like, well, yeah, we can give you this this rate, but we, you know, we're going to give you, we're going to charge you a fee for your points. Uh, we're going to charge you, a, we're going to charge you a discount fee. Uh, the, the banks have or, origin, origination fees. Um, you know, all of that stuff, you know, it, it all plays into, you know, well, I got this great interest rate. Well, yeah, but look at the fees that you paid. And yeah, that, so, that, that closing cost, yeah. because it's one of those, I remember when I bought my first house, it's, okay, I've, I've got my loan locked in. I've got my interest rate. I know how much I'm doing my down payment. Oh, but what is this? Yeah, all that closing cost, which is the attorney fees, but it's mostly those bank fees. And so figure it out. Take your time. Court the different banks. Ha <laughs> ha, like, like my play on words there, court. <laughs> you're going to date all these different banks and figure out who's the right one you end up wanting maybe buy some of them some pearls yeah there you, you know. go <laughs> we'll, we'll see okay big buzzword right now refinancing is that the big buzzword that's, well the big word mortgage is that what people envy. are talking about <laughs> me that's what people are having mortgage envy right now uh. i think you know around the i guess it's not cocktail parties anymore on the zoom calls now everyone's bragging about their interest rate they're getting and so people are starting to itch of like ooh, i got mortgage envy i i want your interest rate and so that's where banks then are like come on come on come on down let's see what we can do for you refinancing is great most of the time but sure. you've got to look at the whole picture you've got to make sure it is right for you and so kind of the the way we look at it is obviously again quote get from different people talk mm -hmm. to different banks have them run some scenarios. But what you need to look at is, again, with refinancing, you're going to have those closing costs. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have those attorney fees. You're going to have those big old bank fees. If you can take with the refinancing, look at your savings that you're going to be making. And within 12 to 18 months, you can recover the cost of the closing cost with your savings. Mm -hmm. Do it. Okay, so... Take what you were paying yes. before you refinance. What was your monthly payment before you refinance? Then take what your monthly payment would be after you refinance. Mm -hmm. And if your monthly payment after you refinance saves you enough money over the course of 12 to 18 months that you can cover all of those closing costs for the refinancing, mm -hmm. it's a good deal. Yes. Okay. Let's go refinance some stuff. <laughs> and again, uh, we got to throw it back to when we were talking before about the adjustable rates that this is where someone would come in and maybe refinance because their credit score is improved. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with you got a job and started making more money. It's all about your credit score when it turns into about refinancing to try and get a better rate. Well, I mean, and you know, just to be clear, if you, if you did go out and get a, a mortgage with a balloon payment uh, before, then you want to, you definitely want to look at refinancing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like if there's something was going on in your world and you did have to get a balloon note because it's what had to happen, then yes, when things get or better. Or interest only. So one of those yes. terrible that we said, no, no, don't do that. Or if you had a, if you made a down payment that was less than 20% on a conventional loan and you're having to pay PMI. 
that is a that is a consideration for another reason that you might want to refinance. All of this stuff plays in, but the basic idea is how much can you save and how quickly Absolutely. by refinancing. So I feel like, you know, it's probably as good a place as any to, to cut this off. We've been talking for a while. Hopefully we've gotten some good meat and potatoes out there to the peoples. Um, but uh, for now, why don't we do a little summary? Katie, why don't you give the people your bullseye? Absolutely. Okay, my bullseye. First off, so excited that we had Nancy on here to explain all of this. This is fabulous. Buying a house, huge deal. I know I've said it so many times. Really just remember it. It's take a look at your budget. Look at the whole picture of it. Know that you've got the opportunity to shop around to really find what works best for you. But also look at it in the sense that if you have to get something for what works for you now, you do have the opportunity down the road to kind of correct the wrong or correct the issue with a refinancing and get yourself in a better situation. So just with all of it, look at the whole picture. Make sure you understand everything going into it. What are the terms? What are the closing costs? What is the overall cost to you? And make sure it fits into that budget. Mm-hmm. So that's my bullseye. Bullseye. Well, Katie, my bullseye is is going to be simple. Be prepared. That is to be say, prepared. there is a whole lot of, there are a whole lot of moving parts to, to getting a mortgage and making sure that you get the right mortgage for you. And so make sure that you have all of your ducks in a row and all of your information ready. So you know what it is you're going to need. It all starts as does everything with us. It all starts back with that very basic idea of a budget. And then you build from there. What is your income? What sort of payments can you afford? What is the debt that you were looking at taking on compared to your income? And then you find the house. And then what kind of loan are you going to get? Well, how much money can you actually afford to put down without spending away all of that emergency savings? You want to know all of that information. You want to have all of that information. And then you want to know what the terms are, what what the, the bankers are looking for, what your loan officers at your mortgage companies or your mortgage divisions of your banks are looking for. You want to make sure you have all that information ready for them. And you want to know what you need to ask them. What are the questions that you need to ask your banker, which would include, well, what sort of fees am I going to be charged? What is the interest rate going to be? You know, so on and so forth. There are, there are just know, know as much as you can so that you can go in. Knowledge and is power. Find the best loan for you, for where you are in your life, and make sure that it's going to fit with your life. Bullseye. Ladies and gentlemen, you have made it to the end of yet another episode of Bullcast Podcast. The spooky edition. The spooksies edition. (laughs) Uh, If you like what you hear and you haven't already subscribed, please go to your favorite subscription service and subscribe. You can also leave us a comment. We might even respond on the next podcast. Um, If you uh, would like to reach out to us and find out more about us, you can check out our website. That's bullcastpodcast.com. There's some stuff about, there's some information about me and Katie. You can get all of our episodes there if you just want to go and click and, and listen. Leave us a comment. Suggest a topic for an episode. We're always looking for topics for new episodes, and um, we we appreciate your feedback. You can also reach out to us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Bullcast Podcast. And if you just want to check out some great pictures of me and Katie and that mysterious man, Cameron, check us out on Instagram. (laughs) That's at Bullcast Podcast as well. Finally, 
ladies and gentlemen, you have heard us mention once or a dozen times that we work at a place called Pickler Wealth Advisors. And if you would like to find out even more about us, we're on that website too, but also you can find out about our awesome team at Pickler Wealth Advisors, our boss, David Pickler, and just general information about our firm and our philosophy. Uh, That website is picklerwealthadvisors.com. That's advisors with an O. Oh, Oh. not a need. Not a need. I feel like I've I've given you enough to be going on with. So for now, I'm Court. I'm Katie, and a PSA, it may be 2020. I may personally enjoy the Sanderson sisters, but please keep the versions away from the black flame candle. And Katie, I'm getting out of here because I've got a very important date. I'm having an old friend for dinner. 